Hello, readers and writers. I am Anthony L. Manna, also known as the book guy and the writing guy. Welcome to Writers on Writing, my podcast series of conversations with great authors. Today, by the way, which is the beginning of Children's Book Week, how appropriate is this? It is my pleasure to introduce you to Donna Sager Cowan, a wonderfully entertaining author of the charming Superhero School chapter book series. Donna's stories encourage a lot of thinking and discussion about friendship, loyalty, and acceptance among many other themes. The first book in the series, With the Courage of a Mouse, is the recipient of a Mom's Choice Awards Gold Award the adventures and unique discoveries continue in the second book with the, with the Curiosity of a Cat, that's the title, and in the recently published third book, With the Passion of a Pig. Aren't they great titles? Readers and writers, you're going to love getting to know Donna Sayer Cowan's unforgettable characters. Meet Cat, that's C-A-T-T, the cat as she faces disappointment, challenge, and hope, and be pleasantly surprised over her unlikely but lovable friendship with Simon Cheddar, an ingenious, brave, and sometimes fearful mouse, and hang out with their two adventurous friends, Patty the Pig and Freddy the Frog. Find out how heroes are made in superhero school in book one and two, and in book three, with the passion of a pig, get totally caught up in the mystery Cat, Simon, and their friends face when their teacher goes missing. Donna Sager Cowan started making up stories at a very young age, and in fact, she taught herself to read at age five. Wow. Now, as a grandmother, she entertains her grandchildren and the children she meets in the schools she loves to visit with her captivating stories full of priceless, thoughtless themes. She lives in California. Welcome, Donna Sager Cowan. I'm delighted to be talking with you today about your life as a writer. Well, thank you. I'm so delighted to be here with you today. It's so exciting. I, I listen to your podcast often. You know, as a writer, sometimes we don't always get to watch or listen to those, but uh, I do try to catch yours when they come out new because I always find that they're interesting and very detailed. Oh, well, good. I'm so glad to hear that. That makes me feel good because it, it I love talking to authors because I, I myself am a writer and I get such inspiration from them, including you, you know, and especially, I mean, sometimes just reading the books, you know, excites me to the point that I walk away from that. I, I for example, last week I, I, I'm working on a story and I was so stuck and I just could not, no matter what I did, I, it wasn't working. And then I came, I, I started reading some of yours, your books <laughs> and it, it motivated me, you know, and so that's the way it works. I, can you tell us, please, let's start off by telling our, re, our listeners about childhood experiences you had that uh, motivated you to make up stories. Well, uh, you know, I, I was raised in a very large family and I was the youngest. So by the time they got to me, they were um, 
the little past, you know, being hands-on parents, you know, there were all different age groups in the family, you know, from you know, mid-teenagers to little babies. So it's like I kind of got lost a little bit in the crowd and and I was pretty quiet and shy. So as soon as I could, I tried to teach myself to read. And I did that by kind of swiping my older brother's and sister's books. And then I would, you know, one of the nice things about being in a large family is I could go ask a bunch of different people new words every day and they had no idea what I was doing because each of them only gave me one word. And um, that's simply how I taught myself to read. I would find that word as many times as I could in the book and say it over and over and over again until I had it memorized and then, you know, move on to the next word. So um, it was kind of fascinating and I had no idea nobody did this. I thought everybody taught themselves to read. So, um, so my mom and dad were really good about trying to get me books, but again, large family, they can only do so much for one child. So, um, when I ran out of books to read, I would just take the stories that I had already read and I would change either the characters or I would change the situation they were in. And I would just kind of make up my own new adventure so that I'd have something new. And it was kind of like my friends to play with. Mm. So, um, you know, it was fascinating to me that I could just go or do or be anything inside a story. And I was just so drawn to that. And I, you know, I still to this day, I'm voraciously reading books. It's like I'm constantly reading something, somebody's work, you know, um, as you said earlier, to get inspiration to kind of um, give me motivation to write more. Because I think as an author, you know, that's, that's our greatest thing is to tell a great story that so that somebody else can be pulled in our, our world and maybe escape a little bit or learn something a little bit. And it's always great when they can do both. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Yes, because books are, are mirrors and windows, aren't they? You know, and you and, and but you you were caught early that's wonderful i mean you, you've been you've been a reader for a lot of years i think that's terrific well when did you know that you wanted to be a writer well i think all along i wanted to be a writer as i said you know i was already making up stories at a very young age i didn't know how to write yet and it's like my mom um, before she passed, used to laugh about the fact that I would take these stories. It's like, you know, I took Cinderella and changed her into an everyday woman where she was a secretary and she had a horrible boss instead of an evil stepmother and just created a story around it. And it's like, you know, that was kind of my claim to fame in my family was coming up with all these new and unusual stories that I could tell at dinner time. So it was it was kind of fascinating. And so as soon as I learned to write, then it was kind of like a whole entire new world opened up to me where I could keep track of all of these characters that I wanted to make and develop. Now, of course, you know, things that I wrote years and years ago were were pretty simple and um you know, probably wouldn't pass the book test right now, but but they were great learning tools for me to kind of develop my craft and learn how the characters interact and work together. So that was that was fascinating to me to try and figure out, you know, how big of a dilemma that I could get them into that was reasonable because I always wanted to make sure that it wasn't so far that my reader 
wouldn't go with them because it's like I was a reader. If I wouldn't go there, then I kind of figured nobody else would either. <laughs> That's great. I, I, I'm so happy to hear this, and I'm 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 hoping that there are a lot of teachers, well, and and parents, and you know, caretakers who are listening because I think you just presented almost a lesson in what we could be doing, you know, <laughs> to, to motivate writers at a very young age, and that is. To you know, to work with story and to change stories they already know. Why not? You know, that's a that's a great way to go about it. It's uh, and I love the the fact that you you use the word craft because it has a lot to do with that. You know, it's not only inspiration; it's also working on technique, and that's that's terrific. Well, yeah, it, it is crafting a story because words matter. I mean, you know, we see that now today more than ever. Words matter. Word choice matters. So the, the craft of writing as an author is to find the exact right way to say something so that it comes across and creates that connection, that emotion, that suave fair that pulls them into the story and makes the character lovable makes their dilemma matter because if you as a reader don't care about the character or what's happening to them then it doesn't matter how great a story it is because you don't care yeah Wow. So there, there's a lot of crafting going into it. I mean, there's the, you know, there's so many levels of craft. There's a craft of what you don't say about the foreshadowing things that you do say early that are just like little breadcrumbs towards the end. And then there's also, you know, the lovely dialogue, how each character kind of speaks from their own experience. And it's a little little tough as an author I you know I'm doing an ensemble cast with my um, series and sometimes that runs into problems because I actually have to stop and think how each of those characters will react not how I simply want them to react and I do find that when I run into writer's blocks it's because I'm trying to get my characters to do something that they wouldn't normally do mm, that's so important to hear I told you like I was in that I was in that place last week and uh, I got out of it by, by reading, you know, I was reading your work. Uh, and, you know, th that was a great segue into the next question, which is uh, something that I'd like to ask you that kids often ask me in my school visits. Um, what's the hardest thing about being a writer and what's the easiest? Well, um, I think that they're kind of the same and they're different. Um, you know, the goal, of course, as we talked about, is writing an engaging story. But, you know, as a fiction author, you're, you know, you're basically making things up. You're kind of not telling the truth. And so to try and segue between or balance between being not truthful, but being honest and connecting and realistic in your story is, is a tough part, but it's also the easiest part because you can imagine anything. So I, you know, I always find that it's kind of a push and pull situation is how far is too far, how far is not enough mm -hmm. and to try and balance that that you're making this up you're not being truthful but that you do have to present it in a way that sounds truthful 
Wow. So true. And then uh, can I, at this point, I mean, I, I, I don't think I've asked very much about this in, in the questions, but I, I'm wondering about revision. How, how does that work into your life? Well, you know, I approach writing a little bit different than, than some people. I am kind of old school where I really do feel that um, writing my first draft, I do have to write it by hand simply because I worked so many years as a secretary and administrator that when I start typing, I'm already in editing mode. So to kind of keep myself from that to where I can let the story flow, however it's going to go, I do it by hand. And then when I go into revisions is when I am transposing that from a written, handwritten form into a type form. And you do have a lot of that, you know, it's like when I'm crafting my story as a draft, I don't, I don't worry too much about the, you know, the connecting scenes or um, about exact dialogue. I just try to get the essence of the story down and um, the important points of the story. And then when I'm doing revisions, that's when I start looking at how the story flows together, you know, where um, maybe a scene might need to be moved earlier or later, uh, and then trying to get to the point to where we have a cohesive story that makes sense. And then of course, then I go back in revision and start including those little breadcrumbs and in, in oh. foreshadowing that we talked about and um, you know, kind of build the story. I, I liken it to um, building a house, you know, it's like have to start with the foundation and uh, then we've got to, you know, frame it in and then we start adding all the nice pretty things that lead us through the house in flow. And then finally we put the roof on and the paint on and then we send it out. Well, that's a very appropriate image. It certainly is, uh, or metaphor, I should say. I think also when, when you were talking earlier on about, you know, when you begin, it reminded me a little bit of a puzzle. Mm -hmm. you know, there are so many pieces. And I, 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 for one, like hearing you, I mean, that encourages me not to worry so much about that first draft. And I like also to to write out in a very, if anybody saw it, they would think I was insane maybe, but <laughs> I, I kind of write out a, a, um, a kind of a f flowing journal mm -hmm. about what I, want, what I want the story to do, what I want to have happen. Mm -hmm. and, and, and when I was stuck last week, I stepped back, took a breath, gave myself some space, mm -hmm. went for a walk in the woods, <laughs> you know, and then just started scribbling some ideas about this character whose, whose name right now is Vasilis, but he's going to change to a Brazilian name, I decided. But anyway, the idea is that, um, you know, I needed that. I needed to, to get away. And I think sometimes it's okay to do that, you know, and just, you know, step away and, and give yourself some time and space. Right. And, um, you know, I do recommend to people, it's like, especially once you finish the first draft, however you do it, um, I would step away from it for at least three to five days because you need to let that story kind of just melt together. Mm. And then when you come back, because a lot of times what happens, either you come back and you absolutely love it and you don't see flaws, or you come back and you're so critical that you're just ripping it apart. <laughs> you have to kind of let it settle and then come back kind of with fresh eyes and and, um, you know, I do, 
a very loose outline um, for my story. I, I kind of know what's going to happen in the beginning or an idea of what's going to happen in the beginning. And I know kind of what the high points of the story are going to be and um, typically how it's going to end. But I don't try to force myself to figure out exactly how they're going to get there because I oftentimes try to let my characters lead me. Wow. Because my characters know their life better than I do. And I know people find that strange, but they do. They have a voice of their own. And so uh, I give them the dilemma and they kind of create their own path in how they deal with things towards, you know, the eventual, um, you know, crisis and then resolution. And generally, I've not had too much trouble with that, but Again, if you're running into trouble, a lot of times I tell people, go interview your characters because I guarantee you they're going to have an opinion about what's happening in that scene or chapter or whatever it is that you're stumbling on. And oftentimes they will even have the solution. And the reason I mentioned that is in my first book with the courage of a mouse, it actually did not feature um, in the original draft did not feature Simon Cheddar as a major character. He was just one of the members of the superhero school. And um, I was having trouble with it. It wasn't really working. I, and I couldn't quite figure out why. And this character Simon kept coming to me in my dreams. Now this is my process. It may not be other people's process, but he would come to me in my dreams and he would position for a bigger part. He's like, I need a bigger part. And I'm like, Simon, don't worry about it. You'll get one later. <laughs> you know, I already have you coming in book five. You're going to get your time. And he's just like, no, 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 you don't understand. I need a bigger part now. And I'm like, no, Simon, you'll, you'll get your part. Don't worry about it. And finally he woke me up at two o'clock in the, in the morning. And he's like, look, He's like, who do you think could teach a cat more about courage than a mouse? He changed the entire perspective of the series, gave me the title of the first book, and this wonderful friendship between Cat and Simon just bloomed. And I was so unprepared for it. But again, you have to kind of listen to your characters. They are the ones in the story. And um, I think that they won't lead you astray because they want you to tell their story well. That's so, so important. And, you know, when you're talking like this, I, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, you talk to kids like this when you go to visit them in the schools or wherever. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's, wonder that's wonderful. Because, I mean, I think that uh, so often uh, when they talk to me, they're very surprised when I tell them that when when I when um, when I was when when my book was published, it had come after maybe thirty or forty drafts, you know, and they're and they're just like, oh no, and I said, well, you don't all have to do that, you know, <laughs> it's not it's not mandatory, but yes. it's just that it does it does take sometimes, you know, that that kind of effort and, and energy. I, mm -hmm. I I yeah. Uh, I, I would like to ask you a little bit about your superhero school chapter books. <laughs> you know, the, the series, okay. The series. Well, you know, it was kind of a long journey and it, and it really started in a very kind of unusual and strange way. Um, it began with my youngest granddaughter asking me about my actual cats. 
And uh, I have this one particular cat that she likes to go out at nine and she's gone for hours and hours and hours. And then she comes back and she's just absolutely exhausted and she sleeps all day. And so my granddaughter was curious about that. And she's like, what do you think she's doing at nine? I'm like, I don't know. I have no idea. So um, at that time, I was gathering my grandchildren up at night and I would either read them a story or make up a story for them. And so this one particular night, a few weeks later, I made up a story about her being this, the actual cat woman and it's a secret identity. So we had to not tell anybody and that she was a superhero out saving her animal friends. And they love, love, love that story. They really wanted me to write it down so that they could show to their friends, which I did. And then they wanted me to publish it so everybody could read it. And I started working on it for publishing. And then I realized that there was so much backstory that I had to go back and start at the beginning of how she became a superhero. And so the superhero school series began. You know, where would you go to learn to be a superhero other than superhero school? And so, you know, cats in the real world, but we don't have superhero school for animals in the real world. So of course she had to stumble into the world of Sweet Meadows, which is an anthropomorphic world with animals acting like people. And there they had superhero school. And of course, right off the bat, she runs into Simon and, uh, you know, creates this, this new and interesting friendship, you know, with what is typically enemies. And um, they're a little hesitant at first, but they figure it out and they keep figuring it out and they find new ways to make that bond in their friendship to kind of make themselves partners and adding in Patty and Freddie, you know, as their teammates. And then occasionally they have an, an extra person, you know, in, you know, in book two with the curiosity of a cat, you know, we see another character that was a little bit of a surprise for me, Ricky Rent. It's like he was just supposed to be just a very minor character. He's become very popular from the first book and especially in the second book where they actually are working with Ricky as the team to help rescue the animals that they discovered in the, um, the jungle of Tangled Trees. And so his personality kind of comes forward a little bit, you know, Ricky's a little bit of a wisecracking, um, kind of a street rat. He's really a mouse, but he likes the persona of a street rat. And so he has a band of misfits that he kind of uses all their wits and guile and their ability to escape danger and stuff like that as kind of like a SWAT team. And so um, it's actually pretty interesting all of the things that they're able to do in the second book. And so right now I am working on a spinoff series specifically reaching our um, featuring Ricky Rent just because we've had so much request for him. And so, uh, you know, it, it's exciting. I, I find it interesting that uh, this little story that began just from a question from my granddaughter has now blossomed into this series that is absolutely loved. And I, I'm just so excited. There are so many things about that that I just love, you know, the fact that I finally get to pursue my dreams at my age mm -hmm. and, you know, write books, which my grandchildren think is just amazing.
they think it's amazing that somebody my age would would do something that risky that I would work that hard and that I could still speak to kids of this age in a way that they relate to so you know the series is wonderful it's it's about friendship it's about finding out who you are and I love that for this age group because you know, when you're talking the seven to 12 age range for middle grade books and chapter books specifically, you know, this is the age when they are figuring out who they are, who they're going to be, what they are going to choose to, you know, to have in their life going forward when they're faced with a lot of these personal dilemmas themselves is, you know, who am I? Am I going to be a bully? Am I going to be a nice person? Am I going to be a studious, uh, you know, academic? Am I going to be some of all? Am I going to be trying to be popular? And I, I try to cover all of those possibilities with the different characters in the book so that they can see how they do actually work together, but mm -hmm. how sometimes they actually affect how they're able to work together. And I think we don't talk enough with our kids about developing that base, about making those choices. And I like to say, we have all the answers inside of us. It's just somebody able to point you towards them. In the right direction. You know, that, that really brought us to the next question, which is, um, you know, you're it's so I, I just love how you handle friendship, loyalty, acceptance, self-confidence, courage, homelessness. You know, I go on and I just say, I could go on to describe your other rich and timely themes. And I think you helped me so much there because I was going to ask you, what do you hope your readers, particularly middle grade uh, readers, will gain from reading the series? Well, I, I want, of course, I want them to go on an adventure. I want to get them to love reading. I want to make it funny. I want to make it dramatic. I want to make it sad. I want them to exercise and stretch their emotions. And I want to take them on a journey where they learn something kind of second, you know, to the story. But I want them to realize that again, they have everything they need to be their own superhero. We all have that inside of us. Everybody has that superhero side, literally just waiting for its moment to shine. And so I think if we listen to our heart and you think with your brain and you imagine with hope that life can be the greatest adventure there is. And that's hope. that is what I am hoping to impart with the series and this cast of characters, that life is an adventure. Of course, problems are going to happen, but if we stick together and we use our brains and we lead with our heart, we're always gonna find our way back home. That's so powerful, so powerful. And and uh, the fact that I, I, I think we're also referencing the fact that you tell, you let them know that they have everything they need, you know, Absolutely. in time you know, and that they can draw on that. And that that is, yes, we need to talk to kids about this more frequently. But, you know, I hang around with a lot of teachers <laughs> and the book club I'm in, plus, you know, I when I was in at the university, 
I was working with training teachers, you know, uh, either before or while they were teaching. And they, 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 they get into this, you know, they know this. And um, the ones that I, the ones that I hang out with are so aware of what you're talking about. And that's why I hope I'm going to, I, especially with my uh, book club, I'm going to let them know a lot about you. <laughs> you know, because well, thank you. <laughs> you know, no, because I think the thing is, you, you know, the, the fact that they can, you're endorsing them, you know, and uh, you know, and the and the and the struggle because I mean, it's a it's a hard life, you know, to to be a teacher in this day and age. I mean, we could get into that right as well. I mean, <laughs> virtual learning and everything else that's going on during this pandemic. But I think that. Um, I, I, I love so much the fact that uh, you, you know, you emphasize that uh, that internal wisdom that they already have that they need to know about, you know, and that's that's so important. Um, do you have a favorite character? Well, I would say yes, you know, Cat um, and Simon are, of course, you know, amazing. But I have to say my favorite to write is Ricky Rent. Mm. And I like Ricky because he's kind of irreverent and he's kind of free and he's not worried too much about the rules or niceties. And so he's probably the funnest to write and I don't have to worry about him or he doesn't complain about anything. But having said that, Freddie is my heart. Freddie, um, Flickerson, he is a tree frog and he is the smallest uh, of the superhero um, school squad. And Freddie kind of takes care of everybody and he just kind of sits in the background listening. But I often think that sometimes the smallest of us, the quiet of us, has the greatest, you know, perception of what's really happening and so I love Freddie he kind of embodies what we all would love to be we would love to be that one friend that everybody goes to in their time of trouble that one friend that we can always depend on that one partner that takes care of the other partner the one that you know, when things get so hard, he always comes up with these little pearls of wisdom that kind of calm everything down and give them the impetus to keep going when they're really down. So I love, I love Freddie. Well, yeah, I, you just convinced me. <laughs> <laughs> he sounds like a sage. <laughs> Ooh, well, Yes, I mean, if we're following the hero's journey, he is um, doing double duty as a um, as a sage and as a um, team member. So, are, are you are, so that he's going to be featured in a new series or? Um, Freddie, I am working on Freddie's story right now. That will be book number four with the heart oh. of a hero. And oh, I thought that was so appropriate for um, for Freddie's story. So we will come back for the um, fourth adventure in the Superhero Schools series. And, um, you know, I'm going to read you an excerpt here pretty soon from uh, book three with the passion of a pig, where, again, the um, the characters are looking for their missing matriarch, Mrs. G, and um, they uh, they travel 
through the portal that Kat originally arrived through into the real world that they call California. Mm -hmm. And uh, they, they have kind of an unusual adventure in that when they go through the portal, um, Simon, Hattie, Freddie, and their tag along this time is Bash Reynolds, one of the twin Siamese cats. Um, they all turn into children. Oh. But Cat does not because Cat was already a cat in the real world. And so um, it causes problems for them because they don't know how to be children. They're used to being animals and um, they're in a strange world and they're having to try and figure out how to be and do in that world. And the worst part about it is they can't communicate with Cat. And so, uh, so it's kind of a rollicking adventure. It has some ups and downs and some funny parts. So I loved writing the parts where they were trying to figure out food uh, because food for them and then food for a child is completely different. There's one absolutely lovely scene where uh, Freddie, um, they're having a picnic in the park and um, Freddie's a little bit hungry. They're waiting for pizza. And so he eats a dragon, <laughs> which, was, uh, which was not very good for a little boy. So um, it's quite comical. So we enjoyed writing that. So in the end, of course, you know, the superhero squad always prevails and they always make it back home in time for their next superhero school class. However, this time when they get back at the beginning of book four, um, the school's kind of in shambles. Their um, teacher has gone missing. Mm -hmm. I saw, yes, uh, I that. You know, there is a question of whether or not Mrs. G will actually return. Um, there's some revelations in book three that are a bit surprising. And so Mayor Philip has decided that the superhero squad of Cat, Patty, Freddie, Simon, and now Bash Reynolds are experienced superheroes. And so now they are going to be teaching classes at the superhero school in book four, which... Um, I, I love doing this to my characters. So it's going to be interesting to see how they handle having to uh, deal with this role reversal where they're not students anymore, learning how to be superheroes. They are actually teachers trying to impart their knowledge to the other students. So um, it should be a fun adventure and, I, and I'm excited. I can't wait to get to that story. Um, as I said, I'm working on it right now about a, I would say about a quarter of the way through it, but I'm excited with that. Also trying to finish up the uh, new spinoff series for Ricky Rent, Crowning the King. He yeah. is, um, after his last two adventures, they have decided to crown him the King of the Misfits. And, um, you know, Ricky's not quite prepared to be that uh, noble. So it's, it's, it's a fun adventure to um, go along with Ricky and find out what he thinks about uh, being so popular and how it affects how he does things. So that's exciting. So I'm excited yeah. about that. Yeah. Well, the, your characters are so rich. I mean, people, I, I'm, I, I'm sure, I hope a lot of people after, you know, hearing this will flock to your books. Because <laughs> hope so too that would be amazing the stories are just so so brilliantly put together um let me ask you about when you when you share your when you share the series with mm -hmm. children 
um, at middle, middle grade kids, mm-hmm. um, how do they respond? Well, most of them actually like it. They, they like the characters and, um, I used animal characters purposely because, um, in, you know, two years leading up to, um, publishing this book, I actually went into schools, talked to students, talked to teachers, talked to administrators, educators, parents about what it was they were looking for in this middle grade, um, age group Mm -hmm. and what they thought was missing and what they did and didn't like. And a couple of the things that were very quickly realized is the diversity of students that we have in pretty much every area, um, we're not finding enough diverse stories, you know, and it just was hard for them. And the students that I talked to that had this problem just said that, you know, a lot of times just looking at the book cover, they were put off reading it because they couldn't see themselves in that story. Mm-hmm. So to kind of sidestep that, um, because, you know, handling um, different cultures and races is a little hard uh, as, as a writer. So to sidestep it, I decided to make my characters animals because all of these kids can relate to animals and therefore it kind of takes them out of that question and they can see themselves in each of these animals. They can look at these animals and see that they act like Simon, or maybe they're a little afraid like Cat, or maybe they're a little more into computers and things of the nature like Patty, or maybe they're a little, you know, kind of small and hidden kind of like Freddy, or maybe they're bold and brash like Bash, or maybe they're kind of irreverent and they don't really care like Ricky. So there's a character for everyone out there and we don't have to talk about the different diversity issues that come up in books. And so they can connect to these characters and not have to worry about whether that character looks like them. And you know, and the thing I think that's so important there is that you're, you are dealing with issues of acceptance. Exactly. And, and civility, you know, and, yes. and, you know, and the fact that, you know, that it, it, you have a diverse, you have a diverse ca- uh, gallery of, yes. of, of characters, you know, mm-hmm. and um, not, so, I mean, I can see where that would be like metaphoric in a sense that, you know, right. we can look at these characters in, in that same kind of way that if you had a book with, you know, uh, a, a variety of, uh, you know, Hispanic, African-American, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. that uh, they, they, they show us that way. I mean, your characters bring us to a diverse world. Right. And that is kind of what I wanted to get past what they see and let them see how they feel. Mm-hmm. Because again, you know, all of these animals are from different cultures. They're considered different races of species between themselves. And so we still have that tension and that dichotomy in the story, but it removes it from them making that direct connection to maybe, you know, problems that they may have with different races or cultures, but then they can start to see how there's value in all of them. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite presentations that I do at schools is um, 
you know, do you know that you're also a bully? And we talk about, you know, beyond what most people talk about bullying, we talk about all of these things where it's cultural bullying, where somebody may not be friends with somebody because of something someone else has said, mm -hmm. or maybe even their parents have taught them, or because they just don't understand them. And I'm like, you know, you're selling yourself short when you do that, because there is so much information, there is so much enrichment that you can get from just being friends with someone that you don't understand by being friends with someone that is different from you you know you have to look at it that way you know and that's what I try to have my characters do is you know sometimes in the beginning they're a little hesitant but they do step out and accept them and they always always learn so many amazing things from new characters that they find. And that's kind of part of the underlying teaching that I wanna put out there is that, you know, expand your circles, you know, don't stay just with the people that you're comfortable with. Because if you're comfortable and you're complacent, you're not learning, you're not growing, you're not moving forward, mm -hmm. you're just staying still. And so, you know, try to get out of these bullying um, behaviors that, that we've lived with for so long, which, you know, just excluding somebody from something is actually a bullying behavior. And so that was a big thing that I also wanted to get across in my cast of characters, no matter how hesitant they are about a new character, they always pull them into the group and learn something. That's wonderful. Yeah, that's that's beautiful, and um, yeah, uh, I I can I I mean that's what I get from you know reading about and reading some of your stories that it's immediate to me is that they, I, but I like the fact that there's a hes there's a hesitancy first you know there's kind of like trying to figure out where each one belongs you know and how we belong to each other you know is 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 wonderful. Um, Right. It's, it's important. I mean, you know, I don't, I, I certainly don't expect somebody to just go out and just claim anybody as their friend. I mean, there still has to be the dance of, you know, where they, they can work together, but I just want them to have that possibility of a friendship with somebody different. Yeah. Well, that's terrific. I mean, that's the beginning of it. You know, that's the path. Mm -hmm. uh, now, I, I, I think that um, you're well aware of the fact that writing a book takes a lot of time energy, creativity, patience. Would you describe for us um, your writing publishing journey? <laughs> well, <laughs> my writing publishing journey has been uh, a little different, but you know, I was, uh, I was really not sure. And you know, and at my late in life, you know, I had written stories for years and years and it's like, you know, of course I knew the, 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 you know, the idea and writing the story and then going through the revisions and the editing process. But from then on, I was just kind of like, I, I don't know what to do. Um, so I actually hired a coach and I've been very happy. Um, you know, I, uh, am a member of the author Academy elite, um, 
and I love it. It's a, it's a program. It's kind of a self-guided program where they take you from coming up with the idea all the way through writing your book to all the steps to get it published. You know, you have to do, you know, um, the final edits, you have to go through interior layout, which I had no idea about that. But I mean, I understand it now, but at the time I was just like, what, 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 what do you mean? I need an interior. <laughs> You know, and then, um, you know, and then all the parts and pieces that you need to make your book come together and come alive and, you know, doing the book cover and the illustrations, which was another thing that I little, little stepped outside of the box a little bit there, but I, I am so loving that the middle grade industry is starting to move in that direction too mm -hmm. with the illustrations because that was also a number one thing that I got from a lot of these kids and teachers is they didn't want to give up their picture books because they're reading these books that are primarily pictures with very few words and then all of a sudden we want them to switch to a book that is only words with no pictures and they don't want to do it. They're lost. They, they haven't developed that sense of imagination and, and uh, figuring it out in their head or imagining things in their head. So I did add illustrations to kind of help them through the story. And I think it, it works. I think it doesn't have to be a lot of illustrations. I do one per chapter, but it gives them a sense of, I think, resting and when they don't understand they can look at the illustration they're like oh okay yeah i got it i got it i got it and and i think that's very helpful so um you know i had to do that part of it do the illustrations and then um was able to go ahead and uh get my books out um as a self-published author you know worldwide distribution is pretty easy to do. I had no idea. You just need to know all the right steps. And so um, my books are available pretty much in any bookstore worldwide. And, um, you know, which is amazing to me because I can literally just say, you know, go to your local bookstore and ask, they'll get it for you. Or, you know, you can go online to any of the um, available online retailers and they do have it. Is that, or are you doing that with Ingram? Spark. Yes, through Ingram Spark. Oh, yes. okay, yeah, because I, yeah. I I'm working with with Rick, uh, the the book marketer, and uh -huh. uh, we we just did that with the paperback edition of Lucas and the Game of Chance, mm -hmm. um, and also, um, you know, about illustration. When mm -hmm. I there was a, a time when I was going into the same middle school because the teacher and I are very good friends, and she was actually a student of mine at the university, and. Um, I bring with me because the illust I know the illustrator very well. He's a he's a good he's a good friend of mine. I bring mm -hmm. the original illustrations. There are ten of them, uh, pen and ink, and um, they I I could talk through the story with the illustrations. Right, you know? and they it was it was amazing because every time I took one out and with the flourish, they were like, oh, you know, and it was, I just loved it because the visuals, as you, you know, you're pointing it out to me again to remind me that those visuals are so important. And yes, why not pictures? You know, why not sometimes a lot of them for, for a matter of fact? And then, of course, we could go on and talk all afternoon or morning in California mm -hmm. about the fact that graphic novels have taken such a, a center stage right. uh, in, in their reading life, their life, you know, and it's, uh, and as a matter of fact, the Newbery Award winner from last year, right? Uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, what is that? Uh, um, New Kid, 
right? Yeah, new kid. Uh, new kid, you know, and that that's a graphic novel that is so popular. And, you know, the, the establishment in a sense has begun to understand that graphics are very important for learning how to read, reading and enjoying reading. Right. Um, well, I mean, we have to stop and think we are in competition with all of these video games and YouTube and, you know, TV shows and movies. These are these are our competition for the kids time. And a lot of it is color. A lot of it is images. I mean, yes, they're they're reading and words and stuff like that. But um, to get them into the reading, we need to employ some of those same tactics and get the visuals there for them to help them through the story. And I think this is how we develop readers. This is how we develop a love for reading is to get them to at least consider a book. Yes. And, you know, it's like if you pick up a book and it's only words, it seems daunting. You pick up a book and it's full of color and um, short chapters, then kids are like, well, "Okay, I can I can read that." I can do this, yeah. And you know, I used to remember. I remember when I when I was in training uh, in teaching, you know, at, at at a university. I mean, they would say all it takes is one interesting book, you right? Know? And you hear it over, and then we would talk about that, you know, mm -hmm. in uh, among or you know the graduate students would talk about that. You know, what was it that you had? that mm -hmm. got you here, you know, and uh, the, the stories are so diverse in terms of some kids were pro, they were prolific readers, you know, and then right. others like me mm -hmm. read, read very little. I just, I didn't, I didn't have it, you know. Mm -hmm. um, wow. Okay. So the third book in the series. Yes. The, the Passion of a Pig. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you're doing there? Um, well, with the passion of the pig, as I said, is Patty's story. Patty is taking the lead in book three. Um, you know, Mrs. G, their town matriarch, is missing after they return from rescuing the animals uh, that were trapped in, in uh, tangled trees. She's not there. Now, she is Cat's uh, newly adopted mother. Um, and so Kat's very concerned. And so the team is trying to figure out where she is because she's been missing for quite some time. And so, of course, Patty, you know, uses all of her tech skills to triangulate her cell phone to this field outside of Mouseville. And uh, so the team goes there and they discover the portal and uh, it's open. And so they go through the portal and primarily looking for Mrs. G, but they do hope that while they're there, that they'll also be able to find the remaining animals that the monkeys had sold to the humans mm -hmm. um, that they still haven't recovered. And so this is their plan. But as I said, when they step out of the portal on the other side in California, they're children. And so they're having to try and figure this out. And immediately they are picked up by a police officer and taken to a school for being truant. Mm. And um, they have to try and figure out how they're going to survive in this world because, you know, kids running around loose is not generally acceptable. Um, and, you know, and then they have cat and it's like, how are they going to attend school with a cat in tow? And they don't want to leave her alone because they're afraid because they can't communicate with her. And um, so they, they have quite a grand adventure. They do eventually find um, Mrs. G, 
but even that, even in solving that mystery of where she is causes an even bigger mystery because um, again, Patty's using all of her tech skills and she breaks into Mrs. G's laptop that she has in the human world and finds out that she's been there for a very, very long time. Mm. And um, that she may not be um, an animal, but in fact is a human that has been um, spying on them in Sweet Meadows. And so this, of course, brings up a lot of problems for the superhero squad because she is the town matriarch. She is kind of the person that they go to when they need help. And um, it's especially troubling for Simon because Mrs. G and Simon's grandmother, Whisker, are best friends. And he's just like, there's no way this could be true. And if it is, then who is my grandmother? So it's kind of a, a, a moment of truth for all of them. And they have to kind of sort through all of the things that they believe to actually discover what is true. And I think that is the biggest part of book three is them trying to discover who they are. And I do have an excerpt if you have sure. time for me to read sure. it. Sure. Okay. So this is from um, this is from deep in book number three, but I think this is probably very telling about Bash, which a lot of people haven't read too much about Bash. <sighs> so, hang on, let me find here. Okay. The principal was gaining on him, but fast enough to catch his detour into the other classroom. Once he was back, slouched in his chair, he waited for Andrews to appear. 10 minutes later, he entered with a note for the teacher. After reading the note, the art teacher glared, then motioned with two fingers for Bash to follow the principal out. He gathered his backpack, stowing the tablet in his desk before slowly following Principal Andrews down the hall. Andrews didn't look back to see if Bash was still there, but somehow the simple disregard worried him more than whatever lecture was coming. It was a good thing he did, too. Inside the office, Patty, Freddie, and Simon stood facing the scarred, oversized desk. They looked worried, no, scared. He wanted to ask where Kat was, but figured if Andrews hadn't found her yet, he wouldn't mention it. Principal Andrews closed the door, then moved behind the scarred desk to sit. Bash scooted closer to the other three who stood silently staring at their feet. Andrews took his time aligning four folders on his desk. He removed a single sheet of paper from each, slowly scanning the information. When he had read all the papers, he straightened the pages and folders again before raising his head to give the children a hard stare. Bash was reminded of a predator they had studied in his nature class at Sweet Meadows Elementary. During a hunt, the lions determined which prey would prove easy, easiest to take down. Freddie, the thought was automatic. Freddie was the softest one on their team next to Cat. Either one would break under pressure, unable to lie or evade. Both were boldly honest, caring and a little gullible. Anyone would immediately know they were the easiest to extract information from. But Cat, unable to talk, couldn't give them anything. Bash tried to remember if Freddie had said anything the last time they were all in this office. He wasn't sure, but he didn't think so. It was hard to keep track with everything happening at warp speed. 
Bash avoid looking at Freddie or Simon or Patty. He wouldn't help break up his team. Andrews would have to figure out everything on his own because they wouldn't talk, right? Bash protected the team with everything in him and he wanted to think it was the same for the others. Yet some little voice in his back of his head whispered menacingly, would they do the same for you? Mm. Bash hated that voice. It sounded like his brother. Buff, his whining tone tried to convince him he was trusting too easily, that no one had his back except for Buff, that everyone hated him and would take him down in a second given the opportunity. He tried to ignore the voice, but it grew louder and more insistent. They were already a team without you. Why would they include you? You invited yourself, not them. Would Kat, if she could talk, defend you or her team? That last one burned deep. If Kat considered him part of the team or an outsider, he had never felt so alone and unsure of himself. Bash stepped away from the others, prepared to shoulder the consequences. His slight movement caught by Andrews drew a wolfish grin. It was exactly what Andrews had been waiting for, a sign of who was the least secure. Bash realized that he was the weakest link. Wow. Characters are so rich. I mean, they're so the depth of character, uh, the fact that they have to figure this out, you know, and the fact that that uh, that the voice is there in his head, and where's the trust? Exactly. You know? And and I think that I I can just see kids wanting to talk about this. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, where is the trust? And you know, how do you get rid of those voices? You know, and move forward into a kind of you know, well, I said before civil, but that's even a weak word compared to what this character has to decide on in order to save himself. You know. Right. And and it and that is the thing is he up until that moment, he felt pretty secure that he was right. part of the team until you know it was the moment of truth. Yes. And he's trying to decide. It's like, well, I think I'm part of the team do they think I'm part of the team or am I, you know, who they're going to sacrifice to save the team, you know, because he's new to the team, you know, he's always been with his brother, who's not really a nice guy, but, you know, he's trying to change who he is. And he does struggle through in book three, where he's trying to show the world that he's different, that he's changed, that he's had a change of heart. So for this moment, when he feels so insecure, when he's kind of the, the biggest of all of them, he's the most muscle bound and uh, to feel so insecure in that moment and to feel like he's the weakest link, he's, the, he's what's going to cause the team to fall down. Well, well this can't, um, yeah, I, so is that book, when is that book available? Um, well, we, uh, I did have to get a new illustrator this year, so it has been delayed. It will be released on January the 12th of 2021. Okay. And, um, you know, but I, I'm very excited about it. It, you know, it, 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 this is kind of the part of, of being an author. It's like you, you plan and you try to make everything happen. And it's like, sometimes, you know, things, things are out of your hands and that's okay. I, I think it just gives me a lot more time to talk about it and um, kind of maybe help me get into, you know, Freddie's story a little bit more before um, the big push to promote it. So um, 
I, I'm excited. I'm, I'm ready for the new year. Good for you. And, and I think that uh, what I like about your website, which I will introduce in just a little bit here, but the fact that you, you, have, you have quite a few links there about where to order the books, you know, buy the book, get the book, etc. So I, I'm hoping that you'll do the same with, with uh, The Passion of a Pig. You know, oh yes, of course. We'll always have all of the links on there, and we are we're adding a few more things. Uh, you know, obviously with the, the new illustrator, we're going to come out with some new coloring pages that are they are up on the website, um, the ones that we had before. But we're gonna we're gonna do new ones and stuff like that. Uh, in fact, right now it's um, you know anybody that that wants one if they want to. As I said, we're we're doing new ones, so I have um, the bookmarks from the, the first two books. So anybody that wants one, if they want to just uh, drop me a note through the website, I'll be more than happy to oh, send good, it. Okay. To Wonderful. I'll, I'll introduce the website in just uh, a little bit. We're, we're coming toward the conclusion. I want to say what, what keeps you motivated or inspired? Well, actually I have to say that my grandkids are what keep me motivated. They constantly run into problems and issues, you know, in their life, going through school, going through this age group, going through this port of learning and figuring out who they are. And a lot of times, just conversations with them give me such rich depth into what I want my characters to portray, what I want them to talk about and deal with in their stories. And that inspires me other authors inspire me. You know, it's like, I can get so inspired just reading your book. I mean, I read yours the other day. I loved it. Uh, you know, but I, I have boxes of books behind me that I get sent from other authors, you know, to read and review. And I'm happy to do that because I just love talking about books, about reading. I'm passionate about that. It's like my biggest dream is to inspire a new generation of adventurers, inventors, imaginers, writers, readers, all of these things that come from stories. Everything that has been invented, everything that has been imagined generally comes to us through some form of story. Storytelling is the oldest language in the world, even before written language, even before complete spoken language, we had stories. We had the, you know, stories that are, are indelible on the cave walls. Mm -hmm. You know, so, this is relating knowledge, information, and it's forever. And, uh, you know, I tell people and they go, well, you know, how do you become a best-selling author? And I'm like, you know, I don't know. And I'm not really concerned about that because you know what my goal is? My goal is to become a beloved author from my lifetime and beyond. If mm -hmm. I can achieve that, then I will have exceeded every goal I've ever set for myself. That's wonderful to hear because we get so caught up with this best-selling business. <laughs> You know, I mean, I mean, it's nice to sell books, you know, because we put so much effort into it. But at the same time, to me, that can't be my main motivation. My main motivation is to to talk to get to talk to kids about what the book is about, you know, and what and what, what the struggle and you know what 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 
what one has to do to survive, you know? So, and the way you talk about story, of course, I mean, story is one way of making sense of the world, you know, and of, of each other and ourselves. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's why we do what we do. What advice do you have then for a person out there who, who wants to, to be a published writer? Well, you know, again, I'm going to go right back to my number one theme here, write a good story. Because if you don't tell a good story, then no one's going to read it. And so, you know, that, that is at the heart of it is the, is the first thing. Number two, work on your craft, learn how to manipulate the words, how to arrange the ideas, how to do dialogue. All of these things are tools. They are not hard and fast. And in fact, you know, think of yourself as an artist. Too many writers and authors do not think of themselves as artists. We are painting with words. You know, we're painting an entire picture, an entire landscape with words. So if you think of these words and vocabulary as the different colors and paintbrushes that you have in your toolbox, it's so much easier to really use them to tell a very powerful story that is not only visually appealing, but that stays with the reader for the rest of their life. So work on that craft of painting with words and then, um, you know, get involved. You know, if you're needing help with that, get involved. There are always local um, writing groups that are around. There's always local kind of um, organizations. I know that uh, both you and I are members of the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. That's always a good one if you're writing children's books, but there are so many other ones. There is the Author Guild for all authors. There are, there are literally a multitude of organizations out there that will help you with craft. And then beyond that, just write every day. It's not going to be perfect and it's not going to be, you know, the greatest novel from day one. It is something that you do have to work at, but don't discount that early work because you may take that later on and develop it into something that really becomes amazing. Or you may be lucky and you may be able to take your first story and go out there and make uh, a really big impression with it. It depends on how much you put your, of yourself into it. And that's another thing. Do put yourself into it because you are representing yourself with your words, with your story. So if you are so clinically removed from it, then you can't really tell a good story. Mm. And then finally, I would say help others you know we're all on this ladder and i am so always reaching behind me to pull somebody else up so i want you to think of it that way we're up on the ladder we've done this but i'm always looking for somebody that needs to be pulled up because that is my job is to share and bring everybody to the table so that they can put out their best words because I guarantee you there is somebody somewhere waiting for your words and your story. It's beautiful. Yes, of course. And, and uh, it's, it's such an individual kind of thing, but also collaboration is so big, you know, and uh, I mean, I, I swear by, 
the book club of the uh, writing group that I was in. Um, and I miss it so much because, you know, we're, we're in, a, in a pandemic and right. so we haven't, we haven't been meeting in person, but mm -hmm. I, I think that we could meet virtually, you know, and because right. uh, I miss it and right. it, motivate, it kept motivating me you know, and inspiring me and also uh, helping with craft because they were quite, you know, they were, they were, it was a, a critique group. You, you mentioned author elite. Author Academy elite. Yes. Author Academy elite. Okay. And that's. Right. And then I do want to mention another one that um, it is worldwide. I, <laughs> and we've gone virtual because of what's going on. It's called shut up and write now. I don't, I'm not hawking them and I'm not paid by them and I don't represent them, <laughs> but Shut Up and Write is an amazing group that is worldwide. They have meetings pretty much any day of the week, any time of day or night. If you want to get some writing done, it's great. They generally are hour to hour and a half meetings where you can go online and literally it's just a quick introduction. Everybody writes and then maybe talk about it. If they want to, they don't have to, but I really find it works well for me because I will tell you, I've written books two and books three primarily at these shut up and write meetings because it gives me an appointment on my calendar to write. So my focus when I go to these meetings is just to write whatever it is I have to write. You know, sometimes it's writing out answers for you know an interview sometimes it's working on a back cover copy or maybe some marketing material but i always have something to write and so i try to go to these meetings as often as i can because not only does it connect you with other writers they also give you ideas that you would never come across and sometimes when you're running into trouble, you can talk to another author and they may offer suggestions of, you know, what they've done to help them. And you might find, you know, some tips and tools that you had no idea about it. So again, I really do think this um, is kind of like a giant accountability group without really the accountability other than just to show up and write. But um, it does make a difference. It does make a difference in creating that habit of writing. So it's called Show Up? Shut Up. Oh, shut up. I love that. Shut up. <laughs> dot com. Yep. Dot com. Great. Yeah, for, for coming to my final question, I'm, I'm thinking about parents, grandparents, teachers, and other providers who would love to hear your thoughts about encouraging their children to become, as you said before, you know, I mean, we're you were talking about that somewhat happy, motivated, and empowered readers. Um. Okay, well, yeah, I mean, you know, reading is, you know, is such a gift. You know, we can be or do anything without limitation. There are great stories to inspire us and they cultivate creativity, innovation, exploration, and empathy. You know, no other simple um, tool can allow you to try on somebody else's life, their challenges, their problems, and then set them aside when you're done and still be who you are, but maybe just a little bit richer, maybe a little bit more knowledgeable. If you, if you read as a parent, 
then your children will see that and they'll want to read. It creates curiosity and a thirst for knowledge. If you provide them with stories and books that they would enjoy or that they get to pick out, they'll read more. It creates a habit for a lifetime. Include visits to your local library, the bookstore, create a living library reading legacy. You know, read to them. Learning rhythm and language takes practice. It creates vocabulary and drama. You know, it's like, I love my grandkids when I read to them. They're like, oh, you just make the characters come alive because it's part of drama. And, you know, when we learn those things, we can learn to kind of highlight and it's, it helps us to communicate better. You know, read with them, allow or allow them to read, you know, allow mistakes and retries. It creates persistence and achievement and a honing skills faster than normal. Allow your reluctant readers to read to an animal or a grandparent or a senior because they are so thankful for the company. They aren't going to care if there's stuttering or misspoken words or having to repeat a sentence a couple of times. They won't care. It builds self-esteem, empathy, and confidence. Create reading habits, rituals, and themes. Discuss books with every topic because I guarantee you there is always a literary reference to anything you want to talk about. You're talking about things at your dinner table, you know, make it a game. Who can come up with the best literary reference to this topic? We all have the smartphones. If we're going to have them, let's use them. You know, growing adventures in and inspired readers um, empowers their future with knowledge and that equals imagination and we can't innovate we can't change the world if we can't imagine something different beautiful and so and and so much of that is their own their self-confidence you know when you we, we did talk, we did talk a little bit about empowerment but i think that it has so much to do with that, you know, that they, they, they all of a sudden they have a sense of power because they're, they're in that world that mm -hmm. the author has created or the poet even has created, you know, and in that world, they're, they're just walking around, you know, and they're just like experimenting with all these characters and listening in and learning so much. I just love the way you put that. Um, well, yeah, I mean, every story imparts some truth or knowledge whether they want to or not, it does. So, you know, knowledge is empowering. The more you know, the more confident you feel because most people feel unconfident or incompetent because they either don't know or they don't know what to say or they don't fully understand the topic. But as readers, we can fully understand everything. We can be in that moment. We can see both sides of the argument and make a choice. So I, I think if I had one thing that I would want to say is reading pretty much solves every problem in the world if we look for the answer. Yeah, there it is. Readers and writers, I'm going to tell you toward, at the end here, go to Donna Sager Cowan's website. That's D-O-N-N-A. S-A-G-E-R 
C-O-W-A-N.com. <laughs> and watch, watch the book trailer, a, a, br a brief, lively movie introducing you to With the Courage of a Mouse. You'll also find a link to her read aloud of With the Curiosity of a Cat on kidlittv.com. And, and everybody should know about kidlittv.com because it is a wealth of possibility. Authors reading aloud, you'll find out what motivates authors, et cetera, et cetera. And there are also, you'll see at her website, many recorded interviews when she talks about writing and telling stories. Um, you'll, and also you'll find a recording of this interview in the media section of my website, which is Anthony Manna, that's M-A-N-N-A, anthonymannabooks.com, Writers on Writing Podbean Podcast. Donna, thank you. This oh, thank you for having me. This no, has been no. an amazing uh, um, time, and I am so honored to be on your podcast. Oh, I, listen, this is terrific. <laughs> You're spending precious time. I, 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 I want to stay in touch with you, of course, because <laughs> I, I love your inspiration, and um, it's been a pleasure hearing about your life as a writer, and, and I wish you uh, all the very best regard for, you know, your writing life. Um, and please stay in touch with us, with me. <laughs> and, you know, so I hope that we'll be able to, to talk again soon. It's been um, a pleasure. So Well, thank you. And, uh, you know, I feel the same way. It's like, I, I, you know, I've just lived my life with this one thought. There are no strangers. There's just unmet friends. Isn't that nice? Isn't that so nice? You take good care of yourself. I will. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.